I'm really glad that you're here. As you just saw in that video, God has made us better together. Our theme for 2022 as a church is that we would be better together, and one of the ways that we do that is by worshiping together. And I remember whenever uh, Sothvik and I were talking, and he was just, you know, basically explaining that he learned how to spend time with God by the way that we spend time with God in this room, that by hearing people pray through the scriptures, he learned how to talk with the Lord by uh, hearing the way that whoever is preaching that Sunday is going through scripture and learning what God is saying for the sake of application and finding those words in context. Whenever we sing, we're putting prayers to music to help us engage with God, to take our eyes off of ourselves and to fix our eyes on the Lord. And so I'm thankful that, that you're here and that once again, we are reminded as we sing, as we pray, as we study God's word, that God has made us better together. And so we're going to continue our study in the book of Mark. If you have your copy of God's word, go ahead and find Mark chapter 9. And now I'll say, even if you don't have a copy of God's word in your lap, you'll want to pull it up on your phone today. Uh, make sure that you have it in front of you. If you do that, maybe put it into airplane mode because I know that Twitter can just kind of like take over your phone sometimes. Uh, maybe you want to grab a, a Bible from the back of the room before you leave today just so you can have your own copy of God's Word, because what we're going to be doing today is really almost a, a Bible study for the first half or two-thirds of this sermon, and then we're going to do two applications uh, of what we see in this text, and then we're going to end by just a really brief, what I'm almost calling like a blog post, because I'm going to give you 10 really quick ways uh, that you can engage with God throughout the week. And I'm really excited about what God has, has been talking to me about all week and just the opportunity to share that with you as we look at this passage. Now, the name Joshua Bell is probably not a name that you are very familiar with. But at the age of 39, Joshua Bell was called the greatest classical musician in America. He is a violin player, uh, one of the best violin players. Obviously, Melody is the best violin player that we know. Uh, but, but in 2007, uh, this news outlet did an experiment with Joshua Bell. He was playing in D.C., and he sold out an auditorium. Uh, tickets were going for over $100 a ticket, and thousands of people came to watch him play his $3.5 million violin to a sold-out crowd. But then the next day, they said, Josh, we want you to go into the subway station, put a hat on, uh, and, and as people are going just about their day, scrolling through their email, looking at their phones, thinking about what they're going to be eating for lunch or, or whatever is their next appointment, we want you to begin to play the violin. And so he did. And he played the violin for an hour. And after 43 minutes of playing the most famous pieces of music, only six people stopped. He only had $32.17 in his tip bucket when people had paid thousands to see him the night before. Uh, it, it just goes to show us that we can be in the presence of beauty. We can be in the presence of something glorious. And yet our hearts can be so dull and so distracted that we might miss it altogether. And my question is, what could it be that you are missing this morning? And of the myriad of, of things that we might point to, the most important is, could you be missing the glory of God? Is there some aspect of knowing the creator of the universe, the son of God who laid down his life for you? 
in which you have grown so familiar to that phrase that you can hear it and it doesn't draw any sense of awe out of your heart. Uh, that, that you are sitting there and you're, you're consumed with perhaps notifications that, that you may get later today about what your work schedule will be this week. Uh, you're wondering what uh, the next couple of days holds whenever the scripture is saying, behold your God. And so what we're going to see is the theme throughout this text, that we should behold Christ, that we should behold Jesus as the beloved Son of God and listen to him. Now, this has really been the point of the entire book of Mark, to help us behold Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ who took on flesh to dwell among us. And so we will behold Christ and we will also be challenged to listen to him. So if you have your copy of God's word, let's go ahead and find Mark chapter 9 and we'll read the first eight verses here. We see this. And he said to them, now remember this is the crowd that he was talking to about the cost of discipleship last week in Caesarea Philippi. He said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now let's just stop there because he says that and now everybody that is sitting there, standing there among him is wondering, okay, so is Jesus going to come back while we, while we are still living? You know, if, if you were 20 years old at this point, does that mean that Jesus is going to come back before I breathe my last breath? Does that mean that I'm going to somehow live forever? This statement was really perplexing for the people who were standing there in the crowd. And yet what we are going to see is that Jesus keeps this promise, not for, promise not for everyone present, but for those who would be up on the mountain with him six days later, that they would see the glory of God, that they would see the power of the kingdom in the king himself. And so verse 2, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. This was kind of like the inner circle of the inner circle of the twelve. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Now, we're going to look at these first 13 verses and see the story of the transfiguration. Now, the confusion that people have there in, in verse 1 is quickly resolved by the fact that Jesus said people would see the power of the kingdom, that they would see the kingdom of God, and yet for those who were with him on the mountain whenever he was transfigured, Peter, James, and John, they saw the king in his glory. Now, he takes them up on this mountain. We're not sure if it was Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor, but what we do know is that historically throughout Scripture, mountaintops are places of God's revelation. You see, Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham takes Isaac to be sacrificed, and then he is spared, and God speaks, setting forth the pattern of substitution. 
Now, we see God speak on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments, and this also would be a mountain in which God reveals himself in a unique way. Now, verse 2 here says that Jesus was transfigured, and they saw his glory. Now, I love this because what we see is that Jesus fulfills the exact promise that he just made in verse 1. Jesus is not a false prophet. Every promise that he makes comes to pass. And so, yes, I mean, there would be some that die, and if you misunderstand what he is saying here, and if if you don't see that the fulfillment of his promise takes place six days later, then perhaps you would shrug and say, "Well, well, maybe he just kind of got it wrong. But if you recognize that he is the inerrant son of God, and this is the fulfillment of this promise, then you can rest assured that God always keeps his word. And this matters for me and you. This means that if you're sitting here and you've wanted to be a mom for a long time and you found yourself holding a negative pregnancy test this week, that when God promises he can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding, he will keep that promise. This means that whenever you're pouring your heart out, leading that Bible study at work, sharing the gospel with your family, praying for patience, and you're sitting there thinking, my ministry is bearing absolutely no fruit at all, cling to the promise that the word of God will never return void, even if you can't see what's happening. God keeps his word. And whenever we open up the scriptures, whenever we sit across from a Christian friend who encourages us with these truths, our hearts are grounded in God's faithfulness. I mean, think about what's going on in, in our world right now. I love that we get glimpses of the king who rules and reigns over all. If you are sitting there in front of the, the news this week, maybe worrying, just kind of building up fear and anxiety in your heart. Isn't it great that we get a glimpse here of the king who is king over all creation and that his reign has already been inaugurated in the church and in the hearts of all believers and one day it will be realized in all the earth when he returns. So hold fast to this hope, Christian, that as we get a glimpse of the king's glory here, that he is sovereign, he is stable, And he is a sure place to rest your head as the nations rage. So here we looked at this passage two verses in and our hearts are already encouraged. We read, we keep reading, after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. Now let's admit that transfiguration is not a word that we use very much. It's really hard in our vocabulary to even come up with a phrase that describes what took place. As here, they were just talking with Jesus just a chapter earlier about his suffering. They're talking to him about his humanity. And if the suffering of Christ, his rejection, and the cross would reveal the depth of his humanity, this moment of the transfiguration will put on full display his deity and glory as the eternal Son of God. Here Mark is describing the eyewitness testimony of Peter in in the best words that he knows how. He says that Jesus became radiant among them. I think that I probably would have described this like Mark, you know. I mean, I'm from Panama City, Florida, so I'm just like, uh, well, it's kind of like uh, when you get a new white T-shirt out of the pack from Walmart and you open it up and it's like, man, nobody can bleach a shirt like this. Not even mom could could bleach a shirt like this, right? That's, That's what Mark is saying. He's like, his clothes, they became radiant, verse 3. 
intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. He's just grabbing for, for straws to describe the glory of God that is put on display in this moment. Now, the, the word that is used here for transfiguration is the Greek word metamorphothe, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. And obviously, we took our word from the original Greek word, so it's not a one-to-one, but, but the most similar comparison for us as to what actually took place is similar to whenever a butterfly comes from a caterpillar, right? Whenever something is, experiences metamorphosis, what takes place is the, the external object or appearance is changed by what is intrinsic to it. it. It externally changes based upon what internally is within that, that object, that animal. And so here, whenever Christ is transfigured, he is externally displaying the glory that is intrinsic to himself as the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, for a brief moment, he is revealing who he was before his incarnation and who he is forever after his glorious resurrection. What I love is that we get another glimpse where John sees Jesus in the book of Revelation. He's on the island of Patmos, and uh, his words here just maybe give another detailed description of what they're seeing in this moment. Verse 12, Revelation 1 says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This is Jesus, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, his face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. We get this picture of Christ there on the mountain. We get a glimpse of his glory, and we behold him as the Son of God. Now, I love this because it reminds me of of almost the way that Moses' face shone whenever he was able to talk to God in the book of Exodus. But it's completely different because Moses' face shone bright because it was reflecting the glory of God. Christ's face is shining here, as Matthew and Luke would tell us in their accounts, because he radiates the glory of of God. This unapproachable light that he dwells in, as 2 Timothy 6 would tell us, is radiating from his very being. Often we think uh, of Christ maybe as just kind of this, you know, the, the perfect human. And while he became human, In every sense of the word, he is not just greater than us in degree. He is altogether different from us in essence, in his deity. Do you see here who the Son of God is in his glory? I love that we get to see this here. Now, as the disciples stood here with their jaws dropped, just looking And beholding God's glory, two more figures appear. Verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, this is significant for two reasons. 
because these are two guys who went on to Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, uh, that they had kind of these face-to-face conversations with God. And Moses had a relationship with God. He received the Ten Commandments. Elijah had that moment where he heard the still, small voice of God in the midst of fire and whirlwind and earthquake. And now they are once again speaking with God, and the disciples are just there in amazement that, that they get to see this moment. Not only that, Moses and Elijah are there as if to represent all of Israel's history up, that, up to that point, saying, we were all pointing to you, the Messiah. It is as if Moses is there representing the law and saying, yes, God gave the Ten Commandments, but it was to reveal that we, we are thieves, we are adulterers, we are idolaters, we need a Savior because we can't keep this law. And Moses says, I'm here pointing to you. Elijah is there to represent the prophets and to say every single promise we ever made was all to prepare the way for your coming, that the world would look at you and say, this is the Messiah, and be in awe of their Savior. Is he not the wonderful counselor, uh, the one who is everlasting, born of a virgin that Isaiah said would come? Is he not the shepherd who was struck that Zechariah said, look for? Is he not the one for whom which the sky would turn dark on the day of his death that Amos told about? And here, as Moses and Elijah are speaking to Christ, it is as if they are saying, it's all about you. And they're beholding the glory of the Son of God in this moment. I love that we get just a glimpse as we overhear this conversation, and we almost want to know, well, what are they talking about as, as they talk with Jesus? And Luke actually tells us they're talking about his death. They're talking about his death, that he would die for the sins of man that he would be raised again to life, that he could offer life to all who would believe. Now, now, I can't help but just think about the contrast of that, that here they're seeing the glory of the king of glory on display, intensely white, and yet he's talking about being beaten with whips within an inch of his life, that he would carry his own cross, that he would be fastened to a, a splintered piece of wood and hung above the earth that he spoke into existence, Imagine that contrast, that the, the king of glory would wear a crown of thorns for our sake. It's almost as if, and, and this example isn't good enough, but if you were, to, you were to go to the bus stop this week, you know, and you're like, this is how I'm going to get to work today, and as you get on the bus, you sit next to somebody, and you're like, well, this guy kind of looks familiar, and you, you look over, and you realize, this is Jeff Bezos. I'm sitting next to the guy who founded Amazon, one of the wealthiest, most well-known people, and yet he is sitting next to me on a city bus, and you're thinking, this is out of place. I mean, despite what you think about him, you know that he is better than that, at least by worldly standards. Now, that just gives us a small glimpse of of how scandalous it is that the king of glory took on flesh to die for our sins and to suffer. And here, whenever we see him in his radiant glory on the mountain, we get a small picture of that. And here, Jesus is saying, it all points to me. This is why he would tell his disciples on the road to Emmaus, beginning 
with Moses and all the prophets in Luke 24 and 27, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of the scriptures point to Christ's coming, his death and his resurrection that we might have life. And so, I mean, picture this moment. Two of the most notable figures in the Old Testament are standing there. Jesus in just an unimaginable brightness that we couldn't comprehend. And then the camera pans over to Peter. And Peter always has trouble reading the room, right? And so he just kind of blurts out, it's good for us to be here. You want me to build three tents? I can. I don't know his tone, so I'm just giving my best guess, right? Uh, it's, it's good that we are here. Um, I can build a tent, uh, three tents. I'll build Jesus one for you. I can even build yours first if you want. I'll build one for Elijah and build one for Moses. And then, I mean, in the middle of him speaking, he is cut off by the thundering voice of God that says, listen to my son. Behold, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He's saying, Peter, this isn't about you. Listen to my son. Now, before we go on and get further into that, I want to look again at verse 6. I almost think that, that Peter had uh, Mark add this. You know, Mark was like Peter's intern about 30 years after all of this took place in Rome. And so he's like, look, I know that I kind of, you know, sounded like I didn't know what was going on whenever I said that. So just make sure that you include in your notes, Mark, I was really scared. I didn't know what to say. It kind of uh, relieved my reputation just a little bit. I mean, I didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, right? So uh, now verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Where do you see a cloud of glory in the Old Testament? Oh, so many times, right? You see a cloud of God's glory on the mountain as the Ten Commandments are being given. You see a cloud of God's glory leading the people of God out of their Egyptian oppression and into the promised land. You see a cloud of God's glory filling the tabernacle to say to everyone that surrounded it, God is here with you. You see a cloud of glory enter the temple after it is built, saying, holy God dwells among an imperfect people as a means of grace. And here, a cloud of God once again appears. It says that it overshadows the mountain. Now, where do you hear that word? Well, in Genesis 1, it, you read that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Another word there could be overshadowing the waters. When do you see that phrase again? When Mary conceives, whenever she is told that the Spirit would conceive within her a child who would be Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit is overshadowing her. Here you see all three persons of the Trinity present with the disciples on the mountain, that it is the Son of God standing before them, it is the Spirit of God surrounding them, and it is the Father of God who is saying, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Isn't that amazing that God in his transcendence condescends to make himself known to us, to come near to us? And we see that in his glory on the mountain when the Spirit overshadows them. The voice shakes this mountain, and I wish that I could point to Deuteronomy 18, how this shows that a prophecy was fulfilled in God's words to say, listen to my son, but we don't have time to talk about that. So I want you to look at the word listen. 
Now, whenever we use the word listen, it can have various meanings in the English language. So whenever we say that we are listening to music, it can simply mean that it's kind of on in the background. But whenever I look at my sons before I leave for work in the morning and I say, listen to your mom, I'm not saying, make sure you're within earshot of your mother. No, what I'm saying is, hey, if she asks you to do something, do it. If she tells you not to do something, don't do it. This form of the word listen that we see here carries with it not just audible hearing, but obedience. He's saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And so Elijah and Moses are there as if to say, one greater than us has come, the Messiah, and the Father is saying, listen to him. And then they leave the mountain. They understand some of it, but not all of it. And so they ask a lot of questions. Verse 9, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. It's always confusing to us as we read commands like this from Jesus on this side of the Great Commission. Because we're like, wait, you told us to tell the whole world, and now you're telling them not to tell anybody. Well, he actually gives this command an expiration date here, doesn't he? He says, don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has risen. Why? Because you don't fully understand. You don't fully understand who I am. My ministry hasn't been accomplished yet. If you tell people what you have seen on this mountain, then it could be that fame and popularity for the Messiah you expected will prevent me from doing the rest of the ministry that I'm called to. So don't tell anyone. Verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Now, they question this because in Jewish thought, there would be a resurrection of all of the dead. This is referred to in Daniel 12 too. There would be a resurrection of all of the dead at the end of the time. But they didn't have this concept for someone uh, resurrecting other than in some miraculous cases in the past that Jesus was talking about here. They're still struggling to understand that. So they question, what does this mean? And then verse 11, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. There was a prophecy in Malachi 4 that that Elijah would come, that he would restore all things, that he would be the prophet crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. But we actually see that it is John the Baptist who comes with a ministry that resembles Elijah's, that he comes kind of in the spirit of Elijah, if you will, and he fulfills this prophecy. If you look at Matthew's gospel, it actually says that as Jesus was talking to them about this and explaining this, they came to understood that he was referring to John the Baptist as the one who fulfills the prophecy of Elijah. And so they're asking this question, and Jesus explains it. Now, this is kind of a sidebar, but I love that we can come to Jesus with our questions that may even seem obvious at times, and that he just lovingly answers them, that he's a gracious and kind Savior. And so here he tells them, hey, exactly as everything has been prophesied, it will come to pass. The Son of Man will be held in contempt. Ultimately, he would suffer and he would rise again. Now, I want to look back to what Peter says, because from this we're going to draw kind of our primary application for today. As Peter is up on the mountain, he says, it is good that we are here. This is exactly what Peter had wanted. He is now getting to see Jesus as the Messiah that he wanted to come. 
I mean, he's sitting there thinking we're under political oppression. We need a strong military leader. Surely the Messiah that has been prophesied will come and he will mow down our enemies and lead us into triumphant victory. And so whenever he says Jesus, he sees Jesus on the mountain, he's saying, this is it. It is good that we are here. Let's just stay here forever. We'll build tents and, you know, we, we never have to come down from this mountain. And who wouldn't want that? If you've experienced those mountaintop moments where it feels like the glory of God is tangible, maybe you've said, I, I just want to stay there. I mean, sometimes I wish that I could live inside of the bridge of the song, Build My Life. I, I, whenever we are singing the, the song, Redeemed, and all of the instrumentalists just drop out, and our voices are echoing through this gym, I think, hey, like, let's just build tents and stay here. Well, we have enough pipe and drape to do it. Like, we could make this happen. Setup team says amen. I mean, maybe, maybe you've been on, like, a, a church trip or gone on a mission trip, and you, you feel that. You're like, man, I never want to come down from this moment. I, I just want to be here. And yet, the moments of experiencing God's glory, those mountaintop moments with Jesus, are what prepare us to live within the world that he's called us to. Those are great moments of experiencing the presence of God, but they are designed to make us live differently in the world, not to remove us from it all together. You see, we're not called to isolate ourselves and to live in monasteries. No, we're sent into our neighborhoods to reach our neighbors. We're sent into our homes to love our spouses and to disciple our children with the good news of the gospel. God's plan for reaching your family and your workplace is you. And so, yes, you need moments of experiencing God's glory, and yet that that would fuel your life in the world. Your Christian convictions about sexual identity, the sanctity of life, systemic racism, all of those are worked out in the world that you are called to live in. So, yes, you need those moments in which your convictions are formed with the word of God and then is lived out in the world that he has placed you in. It is these glimpses of God's glory that encourage us to be faithful until our faith becomes sight. So how should we live in response to this passage? Two applications. The application of the transfiguration, to behold the glory of the beloved Son of God. Behold the glory of the beloved Son of God. That is what God is commanding us to do in this passage. And I can't go into it in full detail, but it reminds me of the story in Exodus 33 where God tells Moses, he said, you know what? I'm going to let you enter the promised land with the people of God. They're walking around in the wilderness. He says, I'm gonna let you do it, but you know what? I'm not gonna go with you. Your sin is too repetitive and you are too stiff necked. And Moses says, God, if you are not going with us, then we don't wanna go. We don't want your gifts more than we want you, which I just love that prayer and the way it reveals our hearts. Really, that should be our prayer to God. But then Moses he has kind of this holy dissatisfaction. He says, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. I want to behold who you are. And God says, you can't. No one can see the fullness of my glory and live to tell about it. But I'll put you in this cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. And you'll just got to kind of get a glimpse of the back of me. You will see my goodness and my name shall pass before you. And you will get a small taste of my glory. And it's amazing that as Peter would write 1 Peter 1, 17 and 18, that he would say, we beheld the glory and majesty of God as we were on the mountain. 
Verse 18, he says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We beheld the glory from God the Father. Now, how is he able to say that? Because the glory of God is made known to us in Christ. The prayer that Moses prayed, the very thing that Moses longed for, is accessible to us in Christ. This is why Paul would write to the church in Corinth, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want to behold the glory of God? You were created to crave the glory of God. This is why we're not satisfied with the things of the world. Do you want to behold the glory of God? See it in the face of Christ, that in our darkness, he shone the light of the gospel, that in the depth of our sin, he sought us out, that when we had no way to come to him, he came for us. The glory of God is displayed in the face of Christ. Do you see that he is the beloved son of God, that he is God in the flesh. And is your prayer, Lord, show me your glory. Christian, if, if you're here and you find yourself slipping into the same sins, committing the same sins over and over again, maybe you feel like you're becoming stagnant in your faith or just kind of apathetic, maybe you're lacking motivation for any obedience, despite what you might think the problem is, ultimately your problem is a glory problem. Something of a lesser glory is competing for your affections. And here, God the Father, as if he was shouting to us from this mountaintop, is saying, Behold, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Fix your eyes on his glory. You see, it's only in beholding the glory of God that any change is produced within our hearts. This is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Every Christian asks the question, how do I change? How am I transformed? How do I look any different five years from now than who I am right now? This passage gives us the answer, that we are transformed from one degree to another by beholding the glory of the Lord. The Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures, speaks to us through God's word and wise counsel from the scriptures that he changes our hearts to conform us to the image of Christ, that we would behold the glory of God. And maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds great, but how do I actually do that? How do I behold the glory of God? It is by doing this, by listening to the Son of God. The second application is to listen to the Son of God. You see, the most important command in this passage comes when God the Father speaks. He cuts Peter off mid-statement, and he says, listen to Jesus. And I love that command, because honestly, it's not that hard. Anybody can listen. Have you thought about that? A child learns to listen before they can speak. Even if you are weak and feeble, you have the ability to listen. God is, is calling us here to listen to him. And what an accessible command. Not only is it accessible, but it reveals the grace and kindness of God because if we are commanded to listen, 
that it means that we worship a God who speaks. I mean, think about that. We can listen because God is speaking. We don't deserve for God to reveal himself. We have sinned against God, and yet God has begun a relationship with us. He's revealed himself because he is a God who speaks. So if you're here and you feel lonely or confused, maybe you feel isolated, like no one understands what you are going through, what a comfort it is to know that we serve a God who is never silent, but that we can listen because God is constantly speaking. And if you listen close, we hear the still small voice that Elijah heard from God on that mountain. All of creation is an invitation to listen to who God is in his attributes and in his glory. The word of God is a conversation that God began through his special self-revelation, which is why we read the passage that Caden read and prayed through to say that God has spoke in many times and in many ways, and yet he has ultimately spoke through the Son of God. To listen to God is to hear the voice of Christ. To listen to him is both a command to obey and an invitation to a life that is flourishing in relationship with God. And yet, we often don't listen. Why? Committing sin takes place whenever we choose to listen to something other than God. When we turn up the volume on something else in our life and turn down the volume on the voice of God, and in that way, we choose a lesser glory. I mean, there are so, there's just kind of this bombarding noise in our culture that's saying, listen to me, whether it's media or advertising or your own self-talk or the words of a friend or a coworker or, you know, something somewhere is saying, this is how you find value. This is how you should look. This is how you should define success. This is what makes you a person worth living in this world. And yet, the Father is saying, no. Turn down that noise and listen to the Son. Our heart is almost like a, a pair of, of Bluetooth earbuds, right? I mean, as silly as this example could be, those AirPods, ear, earbuds, they only connect to one device. They only pair to one thing at a time. If you've ever been in a coffee shop and you, you know, turn on the volume for your laptop and it just kind of blares out of the speakers because you thought that it was actually connected to your, your earbuds and what you found out. Your earbuds are actually connected to your phone and uh, there's no volume going into your ears right now because it is connected to something else. If we are to truly listen to the voice of God, then we must consciously sync our hearts with the word of God. To, to wake up every morning and saying, in all the noise of this world, Lord, I want to listen to you. I want to listen to what it is that your word says and to be synced to nothing else. In fact, listening to the word of God through the voice of God is how we know that we, in fact, have a relationship with Christ. John 10, he describes himself as the shepherd, and he describes his sheep as those who hear his voice, which is why verse 3 in John 10 says this, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Some didn't understand because they didn't know Christ as shepherd and savior. If you truly know Lord as savior, then you will listen to him as a sheep listens to their shepherd. You will follow him. And there's no more obvious application here than to make the word of God a priority in your life. 
that the Holy Spirit would apply it to you and that you could hear his voice in every aspect of your life. We need promises like cast your burdens upon the Lord because he cares for you. We need to be challenged with words like those from the Sermon on the Mount that says, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, then cut it out. You don't need it. We need the promises of hope that you will never be separated from the love of Christ if you are in him. And so I want to give you a couple ways to apply this to make the word of God a priority in your life that you would listen to the voice of Christ. Now, I don't expect you to write these all down because I'm going to go quick. You can get them in my notes or we'll post them on social media later this week. But 10 encouragements to help you listen to Christ is to have a reading plan that is realistic and specific. Grab one of our Bible reading plans. If the whole thing seems like a lot, read the New Testament portions. Just pick up wherever we are this week. Create a habit with a time and a place. Make this a regular rhythm of your life to say, you know what? I need to behold the glory of God more than anything else in this world, so I'm gonna make a habit with a time and a place. Read a physical Bible to limit distractions. Now, now all of these are just kind of like TL's wisdom, you know, so take it or leave it. But, but I invite you to read a physical copy of God's word so that you're not being constantly notified, but that you have this. Read your Bible in public regularly. Not saying that this should be the primary way you read your Bible, but man, I, I was sitting at tire discounters on Friday morning and I was just going through my reading plan and the guy sitting next to me was like, hey man, how's it going? What do you think of the weather today? And then we started talking about scripture and it was just like this amazing thing where, you know, me and John at tire discounters are talking about the Lord and, you know, I'm like sharing my testimony with them just because I was like, you know what, it's, it's time to do my Bible reading plan. I want to read it. Pray God's word back to him. We inhale scripture and exhale prayer. Meditate on God's word through journaling and study notes. You know, we use the acronym all the time here. Here, highlight, explain, apply, respond. So read big, meditate small. Read a chapter, focus on a phrase, and just say, hey, I want to explain what this means. I want to apply it to my life. Is there a promise to remember, a command to obey, a sin uh, to forsake? Is there a truth to believe? Like, how can this change my heart? And then how do I respond to it? Through prayer, through praying it back to God. Talk about God's word with other Christians. And this is one of the primary reasons our MCs exist. But you can do this anytime. Just say, this is what God's teaching me. Isn't God good? Eight, read God's word with new Christians and non-believers. The expiration date of Christ's command to not tell anybody has passed. Christ is resurrected, and now we get to share this good news with everybody. One of my favorite ways to engage somebody with the gospel is say, hey, let's read through the book of John together. Right, you know, if, if I just try to like pack the whole gospel into one five minute conversation, I'm gonna miss some parts. But if me and you get together on a weekly basis and we read through the book of John, man, you get to behold the glory of Christ. Read good books that deepen your understanding of God's word and what you believe about listening to the voice of God and view the Bible as an opportunity to spend face-to-face time with God. Man, when you open this, God speaks. Isn't that amazing? Like, you wouldn't brush off an appointment with someone who, who's really important, but whenever you open God's word, you, you get to commune with God. Like a checkbox will only motivate so much, but that moment that you're, you're like going through something, you're really struggling and you, you read a promise from God's word, or whenever you're like confused about something and it seems like a command that God gives just makes the decision for you, you're like, this is, this is wonderful that God has given us his word, that he enables us to behold the beloved son 
and that he invites us to listen to him. So in a loud world, may we be those who resolve to listen to the Lord who is our great shepherd. Let's pray.